This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Thank you, Bree. Well, good morning, church. Great to see you all this morning. Great to see so many new faces here today. Welcome. We love having new people. We hope that you are blessed by being with us today. We would love to get to know you. Please fill in those find home cards so that we can get you plugged into our church family. Well, as Bree mentioned, we are starting a new series this morning in the book of John. I realized we were in John just last year. We walked our way very slowly through John chapter 13 to 17. I'm really looking forward to diving back into John's gospel this term. We are exploring the seven I am statements of Jesus, uh, and I'm very, very excited about it. We've called this series Yahweh, because if you remember back to the narrative in Exodus, as Moses encounters God in a burning bush, and God commissions him and says to him, I want to use you as my agent to set my people free. And Moses says, well, suppose I'm to go to the Israelites and say, I've been sent to set you free. Who do I tell them has sent me? And God says, you are to say to them, I am has sent you, or I will be who I will be. I am who I am. And that has got translated by the name Yahweh. And uh, so this is God's self-revelation of himself. He reveals himself to Moses. He, in fact, reveals his covenant personal name to Moses. And as we explore what God has done, we will see as he sends his son Jesus, Jesus reveals the Father in a profound way. As Bree's already mentioned, for many people in our culture, we have a, an opinion on who Jesus is. You know, the Simpsons have an opinion. South Park has an opinion. Uh, our secular media has an opinion about who Jesus is. Richard Dawkins has an opinion But for the vast majority, none of us actually let Jesus speak for himself. And so this series is about allowing Jesus to speak for himself, his revelation. And he does that in a really practical way. He will take very ordinary examples that are found in ordinary aspects of first century life and use those as metaphors to tell us something about who he is. He will miraculously feed 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and then go on to say, I am the bread of life. He will heal a man who is blind and then say, I am the light of the world. He will raise Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead and say, I am the resurrection and the life. And he does this over and over and over again. He uses the metaphors of shepherds and gates and vines, all of these agricultural images to tell us about who he is. There is something profound about Jesus. And so this series is about letting Jesus speak for himself. Because we are too tempted to craft Jesus in our own image. Create a savior that we like on on our terms, with our worldview, rather than letting the God of this universe reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus. So, Wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, if you are an explorer, if you are seeking faith, then this is the perfect series for you because we will be unpacking some of the most foundational basic statements that Jesus says about his identity. And for you, if you are a seasoned follower of Jesus or anywhere on that spectrum, then this series is for you as well. As we do what we spoke about last week, 
we begin to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. There is no better way to do that than to dive into the Gospels. And we will see throughout this series that Jesus is satisfying, that he is a good guide to follow in life, that he offers us freedom, that he is our protector and provider, that he is stronger than death, that he is how we find home, and finally he is the source of abundant life. And I want to say that all of those things, irrespective of your worldview, your perspective on faith, every single one of those things are basic human needs. Safety, protection, purpose in life, a sense of satisfaction, having the deepest longings of our hearts met, knowing where we're going and how we get there. All of those are basic, fundamental human needs. And this series is about reminding us that Jesus offers all of them. And so I'm going to pray and ask that God would speak to us through His Word. We have a a, a profound but very large part of Scripture to dive into this morning. So let me pray. Please join me. Father, we thank You that You are the God who speaks We thank you that you speak to us using the ordinary things of this world, things that we see and touch, things that we know and experience. God, we thank you that you are committed to revealing yourself to us. You have not let us guess at your character. And so this morning, God, we praise you as we sit humbly under your word that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see that Jesus is the satisfaction that we are so deeply longing for, the thing that our soul so desperately needs. We pray that you would transform and change us by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said in one loud voice, amen. Well, you know there's a difference between needs and wants, right? There's a big difference between needs and wants. There are certain things that we need, things like oxygen. You need oxygen. You need H2O, you need water, you need food, you need clothing. But here in Western culture, it seems that there is a a significant blurring between needs and wants. Uh, You know, like I need ice cream today is a, you know, that's that's probably not a particular need. That's more of a want. My kids are often blurring the distinction between needs and wants quite significantly. Um, But they often do have very particular needs, you know, like they're very thirsty and there is an, an immediate desperate need, like, Dad, I'm about to die. I need a drink of water. And uh, and we often do that, right? We do that all the time. We get very sophisticated at somehow convincing ourselves that this particular want is a desperate need in our life. No matter what it is, uh, if it's shopping, uh, you know, my wife and I are very good at convincing each other that um, when there's a special on, when there's a sale on, that all of those things that are particular wants become desperate needs in that moment. That, that little window that that sale is on, all of those things, are, in that moment, they are desperate needs. But that blurring between wants and needs begins to numb that sense of satisfaction that we are looking for in those things. We, we, we get something and then all of a sudden that thing that we've been longing for almost instantaneously no longer satisfies the immediate desperate need that we had. And I had a very acute lesson in that as a young man. I remember the first car that I ever bought was a 1979 beige Toyota Corolla with a brown interior. And it wasn't particularly the type of car that you wanted to be seen in. It had nothing cool about it. In fact, it was just total granny spec. Didn't go fast, didn't look cool. 
And so I really had my eyes and my heart and uh, my yearning, my affections were set on a 1987 XF Ford Falcon lowered sports exhaust, half roll cade, tacos on the front. I mean, it was just, it was absolute bogan spec and I was loving it. My brother and I found it in the trading post. We went to look at it and I couldn't afford it at the time. But I, I said to the guy, I will buy this car if it is still for sale by the time I have the money to get it. And uh, so we went away, three weeks passed, I scrimped, scrounged, saved, sold a few things and finally had the money to purchase a car that was overpriced and not really worth what I was paying for it. But we bought the car and I, and I literally, it was like three weeks and it's all I thought about for three weeks was getting this car. And then when I got the keys, signed the papers, got the keys, jumped in the car, I was literally driving out of the driveway home and I had this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've literally been desiring this thing for three weeks. Now that I've got it, I feel empty. It, it does not satisfy me. And we do that all the time. We turn all of these wants that we have into ultimate needs in our life. Well, Jesus has a lot to say about the human desire for longing and satisfaction. And he uses a very basic metaphor to help us understand that. And it's the metaphor of bread. So we're going to dump, jump into John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, John chapter 6, verse 22, where Brie kicked off. But a bit of context for this passage. If you go back to the start of John chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching. There is a large crowd that has gathered about 5,000 people in number, and it's getting late, and Jesus says to his disciples, we need to feed all these people. Like, Lord, this would take more than a year's wage to feed all of these people. And so what they do have is a small boy has got five loaves of barley and two small fish, and they bring it to Jesus, and with the, the miracle that only the Son of God could pull off, he multiplies this feed, and they feed 5,000 people with just five loaves of barley and collect 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And it says that everyone had enough to eat and they were satisfied. And then they jump on a boat, they sail to the other side of the sea. The crowds come following Jesus here and they are looking for something. They are hungry for something. They are yearning and longing for something. And Jesus calls out their motives in chapter 6, verse 26. This is what it says. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. You know, there is nothing better, no better way to gather a crowd than to provide free food. I still remember when I was working in youth ministry, I heard of a, a church up on the Central Coast who are running a really effective lunchtime ministry to all of these high school students. Now we're getting like 50, 60 kids turning up to lunch. And I was really keen to find out what the secret of success was to drawing all these kids to this lunchtime program. Kids who were not Christians, they were coming to learn about Jesus. And I was like, rang them up. I was like, guys, what's the secret to success? They're like, hot chips. Hot chips is the secret. We buy 20 bucks worth of hot chips and we just go and plonk the hot chips down and the kids like seagulls, they just come. And I was like, okay, 
Good, I mean, good strategy. Is it a bit of a bait and switch? I'm not too sure. But, but whatever it is, you put free food on and people will come. Maybe that's one of the reasons why people love GCs, right? Because we, we provide food. And Jesus is saying, guys, it's no different. The crowd is no different. You have come seeking me, not because you saw the sign that I performed, but because your bellies were full. Now, in a largely agrarian culture, we need to remember that many of the people, many of the Jewish peasants that came to hear Jesus teach and speak lived day to day. They worked for their food. They worked to produce things to then trade goods with other people who had goods that they needed in order to put food on the table. They did not have sophisticated refrigeration systems. They did not have bank accounts. They did, many of them did not work for any other purpose than putting food on the table. That's very different from our first century Western first world work ethic. We, we work for a whole bunch of other reasons, right? But in the first century, they worked for food. And so here comes a teacher who does this incredible miracle and all of a sudden, the peasants of Israel think this guy could come in real handy. I mean, he just multiplied five loaves of barley and we all had a great feed. We ought to make this person our leader and he will supply food for us for as long as we need. Perhaps we could stop working and relax. And so the crowd comes and Jesus says to them, you have seen the sign, but you have missed the meaning. You are materialists and you are so concerned about your physical, immediate, daily needs that you have missed the blessing that is lurking behind the miracle that I've just performed. And Jesus discerns an obvious physical need that the crowd has. They, they need food, right? They, they've eaten and they are hungry again the next day. But he wants to take the crowd on a journey to seeing something about spiritual hunger. He he wants to journey with them from surface level desires to deeper longings. And so he says to them, instead of working for food that's going to spoil, why don't you work for food that endures? In effect, he says, your appetite is too shallow. You're satisfied with bread. And I want to take you to a deeper level. He wants to shift and change their appetite. You ever tried to change someone's appetite? Maybe you've met someone that you've partake, taken a particular interest in, you think, well, this person could be a potential life partner for me. You go out on a date and you realize that they hate your favorite cuisine. You're like, no, they don't like spicy food. Oh my goodness. And so you spend the next four or five dates trying to convince this person that you know spicy Indian food is like the best food that you could possibly eat. You try and change their appetite. We spend most of our time trying to convince our kids to eat the food that we cook so we don't have to cook five separate meals for our family. Jesus here is trying to convince and shift people's appetites from surface level desires to deep spiritual longings. And so they say to Jesus in verse, in verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So here is Jesus saying, I want to I take you from this food to a deeper spiritual longing. And I have this bread that's true bread to give you. And they say, show us, 
Show us some sign to convince us that we can believe what you are saying. And you would have thought, right? I mean, they just saw Jesus multiply five loaves of barley to feed 5,000 people. You would have thought that the sign, the miracle would have been enough for them. But perhaps here are people who are expecting something more, hoping for something more, because they did. They did recognize something in the miracle. Back in chapter 6, verse 14, as they've witnessed this this miraculous feeding of 5,000 people, they say, this indeed is a prophet who has come into the world. So they clearly have some recognition. Here are a people who have been primed for one greater than Moses to come. Moses was the one who provided manna in the wilderness, bread for the people of God to eat, and they are looking for one greater than Moses. And so they say to Jesus, what what sign will you show us that you are greater? You've got to do something better than multiplying the bread because that one's been done. Give us a better sign, a better miracle, a better thing. And Jesus says to them, sure. He says this in verse 32, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He corrects their misunderstanding. In fact, it's not Moses who gave bread. It was God who supplied this bread from heaven. And Moses is simply the conduit of the blessing and provision. Now, manna is what they're talking about here. Manna is the thing, the substance that God provided as God's people came out of slavery under the harsh treatment of Pharaoh. God parted the Red Sea, just like Jesus and the disciples went over the sea on the boat. He parted the Red Sea, brought them through. Pharaoh's armies were swallowed up. They're in the wilderness wandering around. Their food is running out. Their livestock is... You know, bleating and lowing because there's no grain in the, in the wilderness. Their water supply is low. They begin to grumble and complain. Moses, have you brought us out into the wilderness to die? And he prays to God. And what does God do? He provides both water from the rock. That's another story. And manna. And literally, manna is, is just the Hebrew word, what is it? That's what the people say. This, this miraculous provision comes from God. They say, what is it? Manna is that word. And Jesus is saying, you know what, this this manna that God provided, this was a sign, but I'm telling you that there is true bread that has come down from heaven that will give life to God's people. What has he done there? He's whet their appetite for this bread. What is this bread? If, If God's prophet came and provided this miraculous supply of of grain that tasted like honey. For the entire wilderness experience, who is this new prophet that comes to supply our needs? He's heightened their expectations. So that they say in verse 34, Sir, always give us this bread. We're hungry for this. Now, it's not really certain how much they understood of Jesus' metaphors at this point. And we would suspect from their answers to the, the later things that Jesus will say, they're still thinking in the physical realm. They're still thinking about their surface level wants and needs. And so Jesus takes them a level deeper. Verse 35, he says this, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. We've been speaking in metaphors. Let's be clear for a second. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me 
will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And again, he will say almost the same thing down in verse 47. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So here Jesus, still speaking in metaphors, speaks really plainly about what he means. I am the bread of life. Now, he picks the metaphor of bread because it is the basic staple source of food. Jesus didn't say, I am the caviar of life, or I am the lobster of life. I am the Kobe beef of life, like, you know, A5 beef, right? He says, I am the bread of life because bread is a universal staple. In almost every cuisine on the face of the planet, there is some form of baked grain, flat bread, risen bread, you name it, right? Almost every culture has a form of bread because bread is for everyone, Lobster and caviar are for like elites and bread is for everyone. He could almost say, I am the rice of the world as well. Bread is for everyone. And Jesus uses this basic, simple metaphor to describe something about who he is, to reveal his identity. He's saying, whoever eats this bread will never be hungry. In effect, he's saying, I am what will satisfy the deepest longings of the human soul. I will satisfy the deepest longings of the human soul. That thing that you are so desperately seeking for is me. That's what Jesus is saying. I will satisfy your hunger. He said the same thing, you remember, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The metaphor there was not bread, it was what? Water. And he says to the woman, If you drink from this water that I give you, you will never thirst again. I will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Why? How how can Jesus do that? Why is this metaphor the case? Well, the truth is that every single human being, irrespective of worldview, irrespective of where you are at on your journey of faith, we have all been made in God's image to know God, to relate to God, to worship God. And we do not understand the reason for our existence, our purpose, and the deepest longings of our souls until we come to know the God who has made us. And Jesus is the one who reconciles us to our Father and our Maker. He is the one who takes us and ushers us into the presence of our God and satisfies the longings of our heart to be known, to be known, to be seen, to be accepted and to belong. You know, all of the longings and desires that we have in our life, they're just echoes of deeper spiritual yearnings that exist often beneath the surface. And we don't become aware of those yearnings and desires until we are dissatisfied for the physical thing that we've been chasing so hard after. And that is the journey that Jesus is trying to take these people on. He's trying to take them from surface to deeper. 
Jesus is the one who brings us to God so that we might know him. And he, he, he also says that, that he provides eternal life in verse 47, that those who believe would have eternal life. We're all longing for security. We're all longing to know what our future will look like. And Jesus says that if you believe, I will raise you up on the last day and give you eternal life. You know, as a young man, I was searching desperately for a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, wanting to be known as an immigrant kid moving to Australia from South Africa, trying to find my way in this new culture that, that was just, to my opinion, was horribly offensive because everyone was sarcastic and I had no idea what sarcasm was until I moved to Australia. And I was so desperate for acceptance and, long, and longing for approval and longing for a sense of meaning and purpose. And I was chasing it on all of these things, chasing for it in parties, chasing for it in relationships, chasing for it in friendships and, and you know, acceptance in a friendship group. And time after time after time, all of those things, after a season of pursuing them, turned around and slapped me in the face. I hit a brick wall. I came to a dead end. And it just left me longing. And it wasn't until I had seen and tasted and savoured Jesus and the offer of life, the thing that I'd been searching for, that finally those, that those desires were satisfied. Jesus is saying, I will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. He says this again in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And if this is your first time at church, you're like, what is happening? Like, is this cannibalism? What is happening here? Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that has come down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What in the world is Jesus talking about? My food, my body is food. My blood is drink. Eat it and drink it. You're like, what is, what is happening? Now, if you've grown up in church, those metaphors are very, very familiar for you but perhaps for reasons that we may not recognize. If you look at, there are very clear parallels in this, and I, and I wish I had more time to unpack them, but if you look at verse 40 and verse 54, you will see that the sentences are almost identical, and the only thing that changes is eating and drinking become looking and believing. Jesus is clearly using these things as a metaphor, and he's using them, I think, as a prophetic provocation. He's using these metaphors for people, you know, for Jews who, who needed food to be kosher. You never touched blood. All of the meat that you ate was blood-free. Blood was terrible. And for Jesus to say, drink my blood, sounds like Dracula. But in fact, he's trying to confront these people and shake them to consider what is the meaning of this metaphor that you are using, Jesus? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you look 
and believe unless you by faith feast on Christ. Now we use metaphors, food metaphors all the time. And I realized I was going to use like Chris Stapleton's Tennessee whiskey, you know, like you're as smooth as Tennessee whiskey, sweet as strawberry wine, warm as a glass of brandy, but they're similes, not metaphors. I had a moment out the back with Brie. I was like, quick, Brie, give me a metaphor. I need a metaphor. So, you know, we talk about uh, we're, we're feeling a bit salty towards someone or a bit bitter or we roast someone. Now, when we use those metaphors, you're not saying I literally put this human in the oven and cooked them until their flesh was crispy, right? We use metaphors to describe things. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's using vivid, confronting imagery to make us think. Jesus is saying here, I am the very thing that will satisfy your longing soul. To the generation who is ravenous, Jesus' invitation, spiritually ravenous, Jesus' invitation is come, eat and be satisfied. To the people who are dehydrated, and thirsting, whose mouths are parched and tongues are sticking to the roof of your palate, Jesus says, come, I have a refreshing, cool glass of water. Drink. To those who are searching for meaning, Jesus says, come, and I will satisfy the deep longings of your soul. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. He says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen and you may live. Now, I can't, as I was thinking about that verse, I can't help but think that that is such a prophetic call to our culture. A people who are thirsty and hungry, who are longing to be satisfied. Here is the invitation of the gospel. Jesus says, come and drink, come and eat. And honestly, in the... <laughs> 21st century Western culture here in Sydney, we live in a moment that has attempted to fill our spiritual yearnings with every material hors d'oeuvre that this culture has to offer us. Like what have we not tried as a culture? Everything that we have attempted to find. We've sat at the table and we've eaten the entree of educational and career success. And we have found it wanting. We have sat at the table and feasted our eyes on a main course of consumerism and fashion and cars and housing. And it has left us longing. We have sat and enjoyed the palate cleanser of travel and experience. And then we have topped it off with a beautiful, rich dessert of romantic relationships. And at the end of our feast, we are still so hungry and somehow we find ourselves putting the indicator on and pulling off to the Macca's drive through on the way home. Isaiah says, uh, Jeremiah, sorry, the prophet Jeremiah says that we are like people who are searching for fresh water and we have been drinking toilet water. We've 
We've been drinking from broken cisterns of toilet water that do not satisfy. And the offer of Jesus is to say, come, drink from me and I will satisfy your soul. Eat and you will never be hungry again because I will lead you into the presence of your maker and creator. And there you will find the satisfaction that your soul is yearning for. There you will find the reason for your existence. There you will find what it means to experience love and to be accepted and to be known. There at the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, ushered into the very presence of God. We discover what it means to be human. Come all who are thirsty and hungry and you will be satisfied. It seems to me that, um, so, so let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't say I'm a Christian, but I'm searching for something, can I say that Jesus is knocking on your door this morning to say, come, I, I wanna satisfy the longings of your soul. I promise you, read the book of Ecclesiastes. The preacher there, the philosopher, he has walked down every single one of those journeys and found them all to be cul-de-sacs. He says, they're all meaningless. We would love to journey with you to discover the soul-satisfying offer of Jesus. If that's you, please come talk to us. But I wanna say to those of you in the room who are followers of Jesus, you're like, you hear Jesus, the bread of life. You're like, yes and amen, that is true. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday as I was reading back on the narrative about Israel and the, the whole thing with manna, right? God, they're grumbling in the wilderness. God says, I will provide manna for you. And they wake up in the morning and there is this, this dew of manna covering the surface of the earth. And God says to them, collect as much as you need, no more. Because if you collect too much, it's gonna waste. It's gonna rot, it's gonna be full of worms. What does Israel do? They eat, they, they collect, they're satisfied and then they store a bit afterwards. And it rots, just as God said. And then he says to me, in fact, I want you to rest. The seventh day is a Sabbath day. It's holy to the Lord. Rest, don't collect food. Collect what you need on the sixth day and I will make it last till the morning of the first day because I don't want you to collect the manna on the seventh day. And what does Israel do? They get up on the seventh day and they go out and what? They try and collect the manna and it's not there. And it struck me that God has given very clear instructions to, the, to His people. Collect only what you need. Trust me, I will provide. Collect double for what you need and don't collect on the seventh day. Trust me, I will provide. And what do God's people do? Time and time and time again as we go out and we gather too much or we look on the days we're not supposed to look and it seems to me that we are so good at doing the very same thing. God has offered us the bread of life. And here we are looking for soul satisfaction in our careers and our romantic pursuits and our culinary desires. And we are looking past the very thing that God has to offer us. And I want to say to those of you who call Anchor Home, if you are a follower of Jesus, don't, let's not be like Israel who kept looking beyond the provision of God. Let's come back to Jesus. He has given you everything that you need. And the beautiful good news of the gospel is that time and time again, our Father beckons us to come back to Jesus. So would we do that, church? We come back to Jesus. Behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. He is what you need.
we're going to respond this morning in the Lord's Supper. And I realize it's been a couple of weeks since we've done that. One of the things that this passage reminds us of is a very visible metaphor of eating flesh and drinking blood. Now, I don't particularly think that Jesus had the Lord's Supper in mind. That's not the explicit meaning of this verse here. But implicitly, all of the same things are true. Paul will go on to use the very same language to describe the meal that we're about to celebrate together, the Lord's Supper, a meal about eating symbolically again the body and blood of Jesus. It's not real. We're not, we're not cannibals at this point, right? These are symbols. It's, it's bread and it's grape juice, but they represent the body and blood of Christ. So as we come to celebrate this meal together, and perhaps as we think about the year ahead and the summer break that we've had and the, the deep yearnings that we have for 2023, my encouragement is to use this meal as a reminder to your soul that Jesus delivers the very thing that you need. This meal is for you. If you love Jesus, then, then head up the back, do business with God, get on your knees, pray, take the, take the meal, eat the bread and drink the grape juice knowing that this is a meal provided to remind us as a means of grace to experience God's presence that I don't need to go beyond Jesus. He has given me everything that I so desperately need. So I'm gonna pray for us, church. We're gonna stand together, celebrate the Lord's Supper, remind ourselves of our Saviour and then worship together. So let's stand, stand together. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank You that You are good. You provide for Your people you provided manna in the wilderness. You provided water from the rock. And God, you provide for us in the person of Jesus, the bread of life incarnate, come down in the flesh to walk on the face of this, uni on the face of this earth to show us that we can encounter you and experience you and find the satisfaction that our souls so desperately need. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out to draw us back to you. We celebrate that truth this morning, a gospel people. And Father, as we participate in this meal together, I pray that you would remind us that we do not need to go beyond Jesus. We do not need to look past what you have provided. May this meal nurture faith in us. Help us to be a people who would feast on Christ and satisfy the deepest yearnings and longings of our soul. We love you, Lord. We worship you. And we pray this in your strong name. And God's people said, Amen. Bless you, church.